Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash Grace P. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grace P. I'm Amelia Zachary, and I'm the author of Enough, a memoir of mistakes, mania, and motherhood, which kind of chronicles my life living with PTSD and bipolar disorder, which a lot of it takes place in my 20s and kind of goes on to today. Um, I wrote this book wanting to further the conversation about normalizing mental health and dismantling rape culture. And so um, that was my book, but I am also a mother of two magnificent little girls. And I am a proud mother and I'm also a wife and I'm also an advocate for mental illness and um, sexual assault awareness. So that's kind of a bit of who I am, um, where I am right now. Okay. Yeah, very cool. I, um, when I was doing some research, I saw that you had written that book and that you really stand for a lot of mental health stuff and advocating for that. So I was really interested to dive into that with you. I've been shifting a lot of this podcast towards like the dimensions of wellness and talking to different people who are advocates for different sections of that. Um, so I would love to dive into more of like the mental health aspect um, of everything. And if you'd be willing to share part of your story um, in relation to how you became an author and how you became an advocate for mental health, I would love to hear more about that. Sure. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD and bipolar disorder when I was um, in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And the thing about bipolar disorder is a lot of its symptoms manifest itself in this in the early 20s. And so I did not know that I had it until I was diagnosed because I had a lot of maladaptive behaviors. Mm -hmm. I was um, drinking excessively. I was promiscuous. I was spending um well beyond my means I was um, kind of unreliable I was unable to stay focused on uh, a certain task or be able to um, fin see it through see a project through because I was constantly in this um, balance between hypomanic episodes and um, and depressive episodes and so <clears throat> That was a struggle in my 20s trying to understand where I was with bipolar disorder. And I and I spent my 30s trying to figure that out. 
trying to figure out who I was with all of this. And I think I came to a realization um, that I was ready to talk about it. There's a lot of stigma, right, around mental illness, around mental health, around um, sexual assault. There's a lot of stigma around it where you don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. This is not something to share. This is not something that you talk to people, in, um, especially in a public space. Public mm-hmm. space, right? So I decided that when I had my children, I decided that I didn't want it to be a secret anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not keeping that secret for my children. Why should I? And so I decided to write this book for my children to mm-hmm. chronicle the, my experience so that they can see that my blood runs in them, where I'm resilient and I'm strong and I'm and all the things that happened in the past did not define who I was, who I right. am. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how did you come to the decision to like reach out for help or like how did it come to that diagnosis you said like you were you had like those like maladaptive behaviors but did you like decide on your own to go and like seek that help or was it kind of something that just like happened so I was I took a leap of faith okay when I was 26 years old I took a I took a leap of faith when I met my husband my now husband um we met then and I was in love totally in love with him and I wanted to be with him that there was despite what I was going through there was one thing that I was sure about and he suggested that I seek help because he was seeing these behaviors that would come and go and that was not who I was mm-hmm. and so we sought, I very reluctantly sought help because of the stigma. I believe that like those people who have this, those crazy people, mm-hmm. those people are not who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of did it as an experiment thing just to prove him wrong, that there wasn't anything wrong with me. Yeah. And as, as we went by, I realized that there was something very unhealthy in the way that I was carrying on with my life. And um, then I committed to recovery treatment mm-hmm. and, and have mm-hmm. been in recovery since yeah yeah I was gonna ask that if like him suggesting that was like almost upsetting to you I feel like a lot of times people are very resistant to somebody else mentioning like oh maybe you should you know seek help in this aspect whereas if somebody said oh, your stomach hurts, go see the doctor, nobody would blink twice. But if somebody says, you know, something about my mind isn't right and they say, well, go see a therapist, they're like, oh, absolutely not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the fight, right? That's the reason I speak out um, about mental health and I talk about uh, my experience and I share my experience because I think our conversations need to shift. We need, mm-hmm. to, stop. We need to stop that stigma Mm-hmm. and allow for people a space for healing allow mm-hmm. for people to seek help and like you said like if you broke your leg you would be you'd be out of commission right mm-hmm. you'd be out of commission but you would get help right. people would do casserole dishes people will come to help you do chores around the house because your leg is broken and the same thing is needed for somebody who has a mental health crisis or somebody who is in um, has a mental health challenge and needs help and we're not as open to giving or receiving that kind of help when it's a mental health challenge. And I'd like to see that change. I'd like Mm -hmm. for us to be open and have conversations like this because a mental illness is no different than a physical illness. 
but it is so taboo in our culture yeah yeah absolutely and I even I mean I'm only 23 but even when I was growing up it was it it was something that was never talked about when I was in school um really not until I was in college did we start to learn about like oh here are the resources but even then it was yeah these are the resources but I'm not going to use them why would I why would I use them so with like advocating for that what I guess what aspects of mental health do you kind of advocate for or how do you put forth that so that it's it starts to become more normalized for people to be able to talk about it or seek help or have those resources or understand that like it's okay so in my case I share my experience right how what I've done Mm -hmm. Um, it's the only the only source of wisdom that I have is from my own experience and so from my own experience I think accepting having people accept the fact that they have a mental health challenge is first of all first and foremost the most important thing Mm -hmm. and then and then committing to recovery right no matter because there are a lot of challenges when you when you try to walk the path of recovery there are a lot of things that come in your way. The um, I keep saying the stigma, but it is it is the stigma. The stigma is the problem. Mm-hmm. The stigma is a big problem because our mindset around recovery is so so um, convoluted with this idea of um, a weakness, a sense of weakness. Having a mental health challenge, it's a weakness and a a, a flaw on your part, as opposed to it being an illness. Mm-hmm. It's simply a diagnosis. It's simply an illness that you can overcome mm-hmm. with the right treatment, with the right treatment path, path and the right recovery uh, path. People can actually move towards that. And I guess that's that's the biggest part is the having people accept that they have mental health challenges and then having them commit to a recovery path and know that there is hope. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's all the time that you can do all the work you can do you can do self-care do yoga you do meditation do walks and hikes and all these things and then do your therapy and do your um medication treatment um you can uh, you can get a sense of community and to support your recovery but i think that the thing that that is more important as important if not more to recovery is the sense of hope i talk about the promise of possibilities the promise that there is something that that there can be an outcome that's different if you are adventurous enough to walk that path. Mm-hmm. So when you first were going through like your diagnosis and your recovery, were you uh, resistant to it? Like, were you immediately like accepting of, oh, okay, this is, you know, what I have and I have to, you know, now move forward with recovery or what was that process like for you when you first received that diagnosis? It was a process. Um, so I'll tell you when I first started um, therapy, at least the first four sessions, my boyfriend sat with me in those sessions and did the talking. <laughs> And I kind of sat there saying, this is nonsense. This is like, I don't need this. This is not me. I There's nothing wrong with me. And I said, but I was quietly listening mm-hmm. to unraveling of my behavior and like what their symptoms of and 
all these things. And it, I didn't get a diagnosis until well, well into therapy because bipolar disorder is something that's um, quite tricky to diagnose. So I was first diagnosed with major depressive disorder because that was what was presenting um, the most obviously. Mm -hmm. So after several, uh, I, I, I want to say several months, did he come up with the notion that I might have bipolar disorder? Okay. So by that point, I was kind of into therapy already. It took me several sessions to get into it, to trust to first trust my therapist and trust that my boyfriend and my therapist both had my best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had to trust the process that this was going to be something that we would dig into together. And after several sessions, I, when I was into it, I think by the time I got a diagnosis, I was kind of eased into the idea that I might have this thing, but I mm -hmm. wasn't, I wasn't fully accepting of it. The acceptance of it took years. Yeah. It's an up and down, up and down um, process where I sometimes feel like I, I do have it. And sometimes I think that when I'm better, I feel I don't. And there were times that I didn't take my medications because I thought I was better. And then realized that I was better because of my medications. Mm -hmm. And so it's a process. It took me a while to really be in that space of acceptance of that being an illness and I, I I um attribute that again to the stigma. Stigma is so strong and so prevalent like that makes us think the things that we um we think in a way that is so not conducive to recovery. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. like if the minute I started thinking that this is stigma and no one's watching no one's watching my recovery. It's me. It's my my process and it's it's totally with myself. And when I realized that, I think I accepted the fact that I had bipolar disorder. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I um I similarly kind of went through that same process and that's why I, you know, like to open this up to, you know, all aspects of wellness. Um, I, right after college, um, was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and I had never in my life had a struggle like that before. Um, and I was really confused because I was graduating college. I had a great job right out of school. I had a great partner. I, you know, had a great friend group. I loved where I lived. Like everything was so good. And I was like, I am so unhappy and sad and on the edge all the time and like there were days where like I just wouldn't even get out of bed um but in my mind I was doing everything right because I was working out and I was meditating and I was journaling and I was eating well because that's what that side of like social media I was on which I like to talk about too is like the social media presence and how it like conflicts because I was on the side of okay as long as you're doing this and taking care of your body physically you should be okay mentally. So when I was doing all of that and I was feeling this, I was like, I don't understand why I'm not okay when I'm doing all these things right. Um, and I remember the day that I got the diagnosis, I was just beside myself. I was like, I, this can't be, this can't be me. Like, that's not something that I deal with, but um, like you had mentioned 
eventually into therapy, I was like, okay, like this, you know, this doesn't make me any less of a person. Um, it's just a different aspect of myself that I take care of in a different way now. But what is your opinion on how social media pro- portrays mental health and the ways that we can take care of it? I think times are changing and mm-hmm. we are in a very good space where we are now. We're not, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. We, we, you still see bullying and you see um, misrepresentation of mental illnesses and things like that. But I think we're talking about it a lot more. There's so many influencers who are uh, talking about mental health and talking about their mental health journey and experiences. And I think that's great because the more we talk about it. So I read this, shame has no power um, when shared in a safe space, right? So when we create these safe spaces for people to share their experiences, when we acknowledge and um, accept their experiences, I think we create a safer space that's greater for the rest of us, for all of us. So that when you go, when you went to your therapy therapist for the first time, it wouldn't feel like you're doing something wrong. There's no mm-hmm. guilt, there's no shame in doing something like that because if you had uh, if you had fluttering in your heart, you would go to a doctor right away and the doctor would say, this is the treatment plan, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens when you have a mental health challenge. Mm-hmm. You go to a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor, and they diagnose it and say, this is the treatment plan mm-hmm. so that we can then live better lives, right? Mm-hmm. So coming back to social media, I think that people talking more about it, people talking, people sharing that they are going to therapy and they are on meds and they are doing all these things to help their mental health. I think that influences us as the other users to embolden us, to empower us to do those things to take those steps and to be aware, to be even aware that it could be a mental health challenge. I'm feeling this way, but I'm not sure. When you see other people's experiences, you kind of step into their shoes and say like, oh, that sounds like me. Maybe mm-hmm. I should get checked out. Maybe I should check this out, right? And I think that that's, that's the power of social media, the power to influence a whole culture of um, of healing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's, it's super helpful to have those influencers um, sharing those stories and allowing people to understand that like, hey, it's not just you, like other people are also struggling with this or going through this despite maybe having a different life from you. Um, I still see a lot on both sides of like treatment plans and I'm curious about like your opinion on each. So like there's the, you know, therapy and medication route and then there's the like holistic, like um, meditation and journaling and exercise and food as medicine. Where do you kind of fall with both of those? I like to incorporate both. Okay. That's like what I have bipolar disorder. I, some people might, might, may think differently than I do, but I think that there's a chemical imbalance and there's a, um, a thing that's inherently happening in my brain. And so my meds help to level those out. Mm-hmm. And I hear people talking about the side effects and talking about um, the adverse effects of using medication. And that's the thing with medication, right? It's a, it's a trial and error process. You find right. something 
and then it's a cost benefit analysis and analysis like whether you know, the the benefits supersede the cost of it right and so you make a decision based on that and they are these are all decisions choices these are all choices and one medication doesn't fit all mm-hmm. so many medications so i think that my medication is um important in my journey has been super helpful has been like um the savior for my for my um healing path um but at the same time i don't think that i can stay in states of um um balance without the self-care and holistic things that i do um i i do do meditation and i do um i do take care of my physical health i do take care of um um take workout and things like that do go for walks mm-hmm. hikes and things like that and um i hear that like acupressure acupuncture things like that have helped and those help people and i'm not i've not tried it myself but i'm not opposed to it mm-hmm. so i think a good balance a good balance of all of it okay there's no harm in trying holistic um right holistic um, tools or um what do you call the mechanisms that can help you mm-hmm. like and like any kind of illness like any kind of illness like if you had a heart heart disease mm-hmm. you would have that you have to take you'd have to go through treatment but you would still have to work out you would still have to um do these other things which you can you can take supplements mm-hmm. to help they help um there are supplements that can help there are um other kind of um holistic ways that you can help yourself and you would do that mm-hmm. that's why i say it's no different like you would do both you can do both things there's no harm in doing both things uh, one is not better than the other though i think that um in my case um medication has been super important in my mm-hmm. recovery yeah yeah i was um super opposed to medication for a very long time and I was very like pro holistic and doing all of these different things with food and moving my body and meditation but eventually you kind of realize like okay if this isn't working what else is there for me to do um but for me you know I was on medication and then I was able to get off but, you know, I just had like regular plain old by the book, like depression and anxiety. And I was able to learn how to cope with that. Um, whereas, you know, like for some people, it's a longer process or maybe they're on it for longer. Um, with, I mean, I know like bipolar disorder is different and I'm not familiar with that at all. Um, but when it comes to like your idea of like, you know, regular depression, anxiety, I feel like that one has a lot of stigma around taking medication, um, and like getting off and doing the right things to be able to manage it on your own. What's your idea with that one specifically in terms of like people not having to be on medication for prolonged periods of time, just kind of like suppressing their emotions. If you say suppressing their emotions, then that's not healthy, is it? Right. So I think like the whole point of recovery the whole point of therapy and uh, medication or holistic um, journey is getting well getting to a place where you are well mm-hmm. means that you can live your life the way you want to not hindered by the mental health challenge mm-hmm. 
what that looks like is trying things that trying different things that help and some mm -hmm. people can some people can use some people can use non um drug treatment and feel better and feel good about yourself so you, mm -hmm. you feel happy and some people can't and some people need the drugs or when they take the drugs they feel better it's all very personal but i think the whole goal in recovery is to feel better and feel good enough to feel to live your life mm -hmm. and so yeah. do whatever it takes i would i would do whatever it takes to feel better to be able to live my life and feel present present in the life that i'm in and not um not worried about these other symptoms that are um barring me from living my life because they right. can be very limiting right depression can be very debil debilitating any kind of mental illness can be debilitating anxiety mm -hmm. or, or whatever illness that there is it it can be very um what's the word for it it can stop you from having from living your life mm -hmm. because you're all consumed by it and at that point i asked the question like would you try a drug if it works if it could work Mm -hmm. the promise of possibility there's a possibility that if we try something different something different will be the outcome mm -hmm. yeah and so it's, no. it's all very personal it's all very individual unique cases right how we deal with our mental mental health challenges and um i think that both ways can work but i think that not doing anything is not an option right yeah so like for people especially especially people my age um what would you recommend to do if say therapy isn't an option for them right now or maybe they can't you know afford to go to therapy or if medication isn't an option like what what would you recommend for people to focus on or start to practice or implement into their lives to at least alleviate some of the emotions or symptoms or whatever it may be I definitely think that men, um, mental health professionals are trained to help us. And I think that there are a lot of resources that are out there that are free. Mm -hmm. um, there are people you can talk to. In, and, and this is dep depends on if you're in crisis or, if you're, or you're not in crisis, right? Right. If in crisis, there are a lot of resources out there. NAMI has a... Um, a uh, NAMI has a warm line you can call it's on their website NAMI um, NAMI.org um, there is um, the 988 that you can call if you're in crisis but if you're not in crisis there are still available um, resources available that are out there that's for free that mm -hmm. you can get um, through groups through peer support through different kind of pro programs that, that are available out there NAMI has a lot of those mm-hmm check out the NAMI website. There are a lot of those resources on NAMI um, where you can get free um, resources to get help. Because I don't think we're meant to, first of all, talk to someone. Like you were saying, if, they are, if, you, have no, if you have no access to any resources or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, talk to someone. Whoever that can be, whoever you're comfortable with, if you feel safe with, your your best friend, your mom, your wife, your husband, whoever it is, um, your significant other, if you feel, if you're feeling that something's not right, talk mm -hmm. to somebody. 
they can help you because when when you're in that state, sometimes it's difficult to see that there are resources or this is difficult to see that what's available or difficult to see a path forward even. Mm-hmm. And so talk, talking to someone kind of kind of breaks that barrier and helps you help some allow someone else to step in and kind of offer that help out to you. And I think right. that's talking to someone is very important. Don't keep it to yourself. Right. Okay. What was the website that you said, NAMI? Yeah, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Okay, I'm gonna put that in the um, notes of this episode. Gotcha. Okay, good, that's good to know. I, honestly, I didn't know about those free resources um, or that there were so many options out there. For me, I was like, right, I need a therapist ASAP and I, <laughs> Um, I use BetterHelp and they, um, they actually, I'm partnered with them for this podcast, which I love. And I think that that's, um, I, I think that they're great. I love that I can do it from my computer. Like me personally, the in-person therapy was never my jam. Yeah. That's the beauty about the of COVID, isn't it? Like suddenly all these things are available. Now we can do everything from home. Yeah. Your therapist, I, I see my therapist. Uh, from home too and I think there's a lot of a lot of options out there for people and a lot of different therapy can look so different in many different cases Mm -hmm. like who you who you talk to and that's the other thing who you talk to is so important people might go to therapy once and then decide that this is not for me Mm -hmm. when really the first the first first session is really bookkeeping Kind of getting to know you and learn about your your demographics and your all these data that you need to keep it's very surface stuff mm-hmm. you really need to get into it a few sessions into it i say do six sessions before you decide that therapy is not for you yeah because because you don't you get don't get to talk about the real stuff in the first session no getting to know each other and you just kind yeah. of see the person trying to see whether you like the person some I I've had I've had therapists that were um I've had so many different kind of therapists that I never went to see again. Like I mm-hmm. went, I had one the first session diagnosed me with like I'm exaggerating but like 15 different diagnoses, and I was like whoa, I was like already what is going on? Like I didn't know I had all these other things, and then I had one that wanted to change all my medications right away within the first session. And then I had one that told me that I shouldn't have children because I have bipolar disorder. Wow. It was the big one, never saw her again. Mm-hmm. One that I, that always smiled, this smirk that really made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> so I, I, saw, I saw him for like three or four sessions and then I didn't see him anymore. Yeah. But I mean, getting into a therapeutic relationship is very important to like First of all, to trust, to trust the person you're working with, that they are mm-hmm. able to help you, guide you. A good therapist is someone who listens and someone who offers options for you to walk. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you want someone that you like, that you can relate to, that you feel comfortable with to talk mm-hmm. to, share, to, to share your deepest, darkest secrets. Mm-hmm. Is this comfortable doing that is that person being non-judgmental unbiased is he being compassionate is he or she being compassionate right and so you're you're there's a lot of things that you have to decide that you like in a person but I say that you need to really give it a good go 
before deciding that it's not for you mm-hmm. because yeah this, this is analogy right i'm i don't do we have time i'm sorry i'm going on no we have time <laughs> so there's this analogy i always share it's in my book too um if you have a car that's making an awful sound right you go to the first mechanic and they fix it and give it back to you and you drive it and then you're still making that sound what do you do you take it back to the mechanic mm-hmm. they fix it and you're still making that sound what do you do do you keep driving that car or do you find someone who fixes it right so not everybody is going to be your cup of tea right you're not going to you're not going to fall in love with the therapist the first time you see them um if you do I, like i did when i moved here i fell in love with my therapist and like i i'm i've been with her for 8 years now wow so yeah so sometimes it happens love at first sight there were times that when i was at different places it didn't and it's hard to find somebody who you trust and love and want to be in relationship with um therapeutic relationship with and if you don't trust and like the person that's not going to be a therapeutic relationship. You're not yeah. going to get the best that you can get out of therapy. And so mm-hmm. look, go out there and look for the person that works for you and keep trying. Even though you don't like the first person, doesn't mean that all of them are like that. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not, it's not a cookie cutter. Therapists don't come out of cookie cutters. So we're not, they're not all same. So try. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I when I first started, I, I was really worried about like hurting my therapist feelings. I was like, this is not like, I don't really like what's going on here. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like it's, it's their job and they work with so many different people, but like my very first therapist just, just listened and like, didn't provide, I felt like I was just talking. And then at the end I was like, well, I don't, what am I supposed to do with that now? Um, and I was really worried about switching, but that's the nice thing is like, you can switch. You're not confined to them. You're not in a contract with them. You are in charge of your own health. Mm -hmm. Advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Advocate for a person that is going to help you achieve your well-being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really like that. Um, so with your the way that you advocate. I know you have your book, um, which I'm going to put the link to um, on this episode as well. Um, but outside of your book, where do you do most of like your advocating? Is it social media? Is it like um, speaking events, your website? I do speak at events. Um, okay. I've done several events for NAMI. Um, and so that's where I do my public speaking. But I also write. Um, I write on a lot of um, national media. Uh, okay. I do a lot of op-eds and um, personal essays about my experience and um, advocating for normalizing mental health. Um, I also do podcasts. I do a lot of podcasts. Um, and I've done radio shows and whatever. Uh, radio shows, I've been on TV. I've been on a documentary. Um, I don't know. I'm listing out my resume now. <laughs> <laughs> I, no. I, I do it I do whatever allows me to say what I need to say yeah if given an opportunity I would take the opportunity and like share this message of um 
normalizing mental health because I think we need to really move forward, move away from us, move away from this culture of stifling, of suppressing our emotions, suppressing our our illness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I call it mental illness because it is an illness that needs to be treated. But we, we suppress it and the healing journey looks so long because we spend the like 75% of it fighting the stigma. Mm-hmm. If we can get rid of the stigma and you start treatment right here, it probably take like much less than like it would take if you were spending the like the 75% of the time fighting the stigma. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going for. Yeah. So I told you earlier, I like to finish with like a piece of advice that you would give to people in your 20s. If you could give one piece, I want to like shape that around like you said you do these things so that you can say what you need to say so if there's a piece of advice or one last thing that you really want to say to leave with people that listen to this which majority of the people are young 20 somethings what would you leave us with what would you tell us so I was going through the thick of my mental illness in my early 20s didn't know it, didn't acknowledge it. And I went on suffering in silence for a very long time. Um, 20s is not for that. Your 20s is not for suffering in silence. Your 20s is not for suppressing things that you don't understand or cannot control. It's for, it's a time for you to discover yourself make all those mistakes and like don't be afraid of making mistakes and enjoying your life and living your life so that when you get to your 30s you don't miss your 20s i don't miss my 20s right because it's done you lived your life fully and you have no regrets because you're then you're looking at the next decade with a a sense of adventure and so if you are suffering in silence cut it out stop like go get it looked at check it out Begin your journey of healing now so you don't waste your 20s on suppressing the symptoms. So I yeah. think I think that's that's my take on like if we are talking about advice for the 20s. 20s is for living it out. Like go do all the things, live your best life and experience it and be present. Because if you're if you are ridden with um mental illness, you're not really present like untreated mm-hmm. mental illness you're not really present for your life and you're missing out on all the joys that you can experience in your 20s so mm-hmm. go get it looked at take talk to somebody tell somebody so you can find the resources that you need um get help so you can start the healing process right now so you can live your life yeah yeah i couldn't agree more i think that's a really great place for us to um wrap things up but for everyone listening, where can they find your book? Where can they find the events that you're speaking at or your social media? I'll put it all in the notes, but where can they find you? So my book is available everywhere books are sold. Um, Amazonbookshop.org. I, I like bookshop.org because it helps indie um, bookstores. A portion of the sales goes to indie bookstores. So that's a great place to buy it. Um, but if you don't and like you're the big A fan, then like it's available there too. 
available at any bookstore near you. Um, I keep up. Um, I keep, I keep up a schedule and like things that I'm up to on my website, ameliazachary.com. Um, be sure you spell the Zachary right because it's Z-A-C-H-R-Y. Um, so ameliazachary.com and that's where I kind of put up where you can see me next, where you can meet me next and um, all the things that I've been up to, public publications that I've done, um, things like that. And keep in touch. Like if you want to reach out and like you want to talk to me, um, th there's the contact form there too on my website. And it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much, Grace. Yes, uh, of course. It's for me today to share the message that um, I am so passionate about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate your time. I'm I'm very happy that we got to set aside a little bit less than an hour to chat. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that with me. Thank you so much for taking the time again. Um, and I hope you have a great new year. You too. Happy new year. Thank Bye. you. Bye.